Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Land Called Homily. My name's David, and this is my podcast. I'm an Episcopal priest serving a beautiful little parish on the Gulf Coast of Alabama called St. Paul's Chapel. These are my weekly talks from our worship service, so I hope they can be of some help to you. Take what you can use and discard the rest. If you're interested in more of my content or if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can visit my website at davidchatel.com. Thanks for listening. Out in the Judean wilderness, there was a wild man. His name was John. (laughs) Not a particularly wild name. But he had fiery eyes and covered himself with animal fur and wrapped a piece of leather around his waist for a belt. When he was hungry... You could see him scrambling around in the bush, catching locusts and carefully pulling honey from wild beehives. I always wondered if he ate them together. A little wild honey on your locust to help it go down. Some say that John was a group, part of the group of people called the Essenes. Essenes were like extreme versions of the Pharisees, but a lot more militant in their approach to the Jewish faith. And they all lived together like monks out in the desert, very strict, very mysterious. Wild John struck out in the wilderness and started preaching and proclaiming like one of the Old Testament prophets, bearded and unkempt, calling out, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, repent and be baptized. And as it turns out, old wild John was stirring up quite a commotion in Jerusalem. All kinds of people were running off to the wilderness to find him and hear all the crazy things he had to say and get baptized. But John, for all his crazy had some interesting things to say about his cousin, Jesus. The one who is more powerful than me is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What did he mean by that? And what's the difference? Maybe you have said something similar to what I have said over the years. Have you ever been in a really tight spot and prayed, God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll never do anything like this again. Have you ever been aware at one point in your life that you have received forgiveness or grace about something only to find yourself right back in the middle of messing up again? It really doesn't feel like it when we're there and going through something like that, but it's a pretty common situation for us as humans. It's kind of in our blood. Lots of us think that we spend our lives bouncing back and forth between being good like we think God wants us to be and thus earning God's love and then messing up and being bad and unforgivable and out of God's reach and ability to love. I mean, why shouldn't it work like that, right? 
Everything else we deal with on a daily basis works like that. We've got laws and punishments for breaking them. We have situations that demand that we perform in a certain way or else we pay the price. Actions, good or bad, have consequences, good or bad. Hopefully, it's part of what we learn as we mature into adulthood. So I guess we really can't blame ourselves for falling into the habit of relating to God with that sort of understanding in place. But is that really how God relates to us? I believe many of the conclusions we reach about how God is and how God relates to us come from two things. Number one, fear. And number two, a desire to control something we don't understand. That common experience that we have as humans of knowing about actions that lead to consequences leads us to assume that that's how God relates to us too. We have all of these common experiences that we have as humans that we share and those things become a lens through which we try to make sense of life. We want to be part of a tribe or a group. Humans are tribal people by nature. We're biologically driven to group together for all kinds of reasons. We seem to have a common need to get approval from authority figures. And we respond pretty negatively if we don't get that. Some of us spend our entire lives either searching for that approval or running from the need for it. All of these common human experiences get ingrained in our heads and hearts and after generations and generations of repeated experience, we come to expect God to be like everyone else. But I don't think that could be further from the truth. This whole ideology of relating to God was at work even in old wild John's day and age. In fact, I would wager that the Jews of that time were probably a lot better at being good than we are when they operated on a religious system of sacrifice. If you were really bad that year, you repented and were very sorry about it and you offered an animal sacrifice. Their understanding of God, not really unlike a lot of people today, was that their sin made God angry. And God had to be appeased by the shedding of the blood of an animal on the altar of sacrifice. The Jews had all kinds of rituals that were a part of a religious process of becoming clean so that you could interact with God. They had actual ritual baths that they used, and they were familiar with the idea of being dunked underwater for all manner of things relating to getting spiritually clean for God. So when wild John starts dunking people in the Jordan River, it wasn't such a crazy thing. After all, he was preaching repentance, and repentance was a concept that his hearers would have been very familiar with. I mean, John's appearance 
and his tactics were a bit odd, but his baptizing people for repentance was not that different from what the establishment had been doing for a long, long time. But then, John says something that sticks out like a sore thumb. He starts talking about someone who is coming, who is more powerful than him. I have baptized you with water for repentance, he says, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now that was completely different. John's baptism was for repentance, an important thing to be sure, but by its nature, also a repetitive thing. Why is repentance repetitive? Because messing up is repetitive over and over again. You can see that pattern in the Old Testament where God's blessings eventually get squandered by the children of Israel and they lose sight of their commitments to God and things go off the rails and the consequences are sometimes really difficult and sad But always, God, the essence of the universe, finds a way to lift people up out of their despair and into restoration. And Scripture says it like this. The steadfast love of God never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And this is really great news, but it's not really the point of what I'm saying. John says... Jesus will baptize us, not with water, not just to repentance over and over again when we mess up, but with the Holy Spirit. Once and for all, as a sign that we are and always have been beloved children of God forever. It's really hard for us to hear this the way that those listening to John might have heard it. In the Christian tradition, we have this mysterious theology of the Trinity, of God in three modes or three persons. One of those modes is the Holy Spirit. And that's how we hear it when John says Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. But the doctrine of the Trinity in the Christian church wasn't formalized until around 325 A.D. That's almost 300 years after John is baptizing in the Jordan In the Greek text, Mark has John saying, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you by and with and in a holy breath. Recreating, reanimating our humanity by breathing into us the sacred breath of God. John baptizes for repentance again and again, but Jesus baptizes us in the very essence of God. So what does it all mean for us? Does it mean we don't mess up? Yeah, right. (laughs) Does it mean we no longer need repentance in our lives? No, we do. But it means that our repentance, our turning around And reorienting our lives no longer takes center stage in our faith. It means 
Our repentance can now be motivated by what does take center stage, and that is the fullness of God's love that resides in us. Our repentance no longer has to be motivated by fear or somehow falling out of favor with an angry God who is waiting to strike us down. It means that now, even though we still make a royal mess of things regularly, we have never been apart from God's deep love for us. It is the very thing that causes us to exist in the first place. Jesus shows us that God's love has always been the only reality that matters. But we always try to go back to the old way of fixing the problem through trying to do something, trying to be better through promising on our lives that the next time things will be different. Wash, rinse, repeat, or repent, as the case may be. But even while John himself knew that we couldn't do that forever, he knew that there would have to be something more that dealt with the problem of brokenness once and for all so that you and I could be drawn into a real relationship with the true ground of our being and the true home of our hearts. Advent is about waiting for the coming of Christ. But in a sense... It's also about coming home to the truth of God about us and opening our hearts to welcome Christ as we welcome those around us in need. Mm-hmm.